Amen, everybody. Happy Easter to you. It's so good to see you today. We're, we're going to dive right into our sermon series that we've been in for the last three weeks. It's called Death, Burial, and I've been waiting for this, this third Sunday to come for a minute. Um, we've, been, we've been just diving right in. If you haven't been here for the last few weeks, go onto our website. You can watch uh, the sermons there. But one, one of the things that we learned in the first sermon is that a lot of times in our life, uh, we, may, we may experience this sense that God has abandoned us. Uh, Jesus, when he died, his disciples felt abandoned. Their hopes, their dreams, their aspirations, their desires, everything that they had wanted in life, they had attached to Jesus. And when Jesus died, all that stuff died with him. And sometimes in our life, we feel that way. We feel like God is far from us. But we learned on that Sunday that just because you feel it doesn't make it fact. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Just because you feel like God might be far, that doesn't make it a fact. Just because you feel like, like you're out there all alone doesn't, doesn't make it a fact. That's, that's what happened on a Friday. Jesus died on a Friday, and, and everybody felt abandoned. Then last week, we looked at, at the burial. And a lot of times, I think the, the Saturday for the disciples might have been worse than the Friday. Because the Saturday, on the Friday, you're still reeling from the shock of the loss. But on the Saturday, it's starting to settle in. The pain is starting to sit, sit deep. And you're starting to go, oh my gosh, the, 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 the tomb was sealed. The stone is in place. The dreams are for, for real dead. Some, some of us are in the Saturday part of our life right now. We're experiencing Saturday in our relationships. We're experiencing Saturday in our finances, in our career, in our friends. We're, we're experiencing that, that, that pain of going, is, is my dream, is my aspiration, is, my, is it really... Is it really buried? Is it really gone? But today, today I am so thankful that we get to, we get to talk about Sunday. Because things changed on Sunday. And, and things can change in your life when you begin to experience the resurrection power, the Holy Spirit power in your own life. And you start to recognize the Sunday opportunity that you can have right here, right now, today. And, and I just want you to know, I am so glad you're here today. If, if you're here because, you know, you love Jesus and, and, and you, you know, you're, you're just a dyed-in-the-wool Christian and you're out here celebrating, I'm so glad you're here. And if you're here today because you had to come in order to get invited to the brunch, I'm glad you're here today, too. We're going we're gonna to dive right in. And because I, what I really feel is that what I want to preach about today, what I want to talk about, it's going to resonate with you wherever you're at on that journey on that path. So I want to start by reading out of the Gospel of Luke, and I'm going to read about that very first Sunday morning. So let's track with this together. It says this, it says, on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Now, 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 now the fact that they took spices that they had prepared gives you a little snapshot into their expectation. They were expecting not to find life, they were expecting to find death. They were expecting to find a body that they would anoint with spices uh, and, 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 and a body that would remain buried. It says this, uh, it was Mary Magdalene, these were the women, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James. Next verse says, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. This was the first moment that their expectations were not quite what they thought they would be. But when they entered, 
they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. This was another moment where their expectations were not met. I, I, I tell you what, sometimes I'm glad God doesn't meet my expectations because then there's room for him to exceed my expectations. Sometimes I'm glad that I don't get what I want because I find out in retrospect afterwards, if I had gotten what I want, I wouldn't have enjoyed what I got because he had something better for me than what I wanted. Anybody with me this morning? I'll preach that another time. So they found they didn't find the body of the Lord. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, now here's what I want you to focus on. Here's what they said. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? He said, the son of man must be crucified, delivered over to the hands of sinners, be, be crucified, and on the third day be raised up. Remember when he told you that? Then the scripture says, then they remembered his words. Today I want to I preach on a question. And the question is just this. Why do we look for the living among the dead? Why do we seek life in things that cannot give us life? Why do we put our hope, our trust, our confidence, our aspirations, our expectations in things that will disappoint us? Why do we look for the living among the dead? This week I picked up my son Lincoln from track practice. My boys are, are now on the track team and, and, and I picked them up over here at U City High School and um, they're not in high school. He's eight. But anyway, they practice on the high school track, just to be clear. So, so I, pick, I pick him up. And, and my son Lincoln, if you know Lincoln, he's, this dude is like one of the, he's the coolest guy I've ever met. Let me just put it that way. This guy is like always in the flow. He's one of these guys where like life just works out for him. It, it, it's, it's, like, it's like nothing can get in his way. He just, he looks cool, he dresses cool, he talks cool, he loves people, people love him. He just moves through life with this kind of ease that, you know, is, is you know, um, inspirational, let's just say. Uh, that, that's how he flows. And, and so he got in the car the other day after track practice and normally he's just talking and, you know, his conversation is a flow also. It just flows. It just stream of consciousness, whatever comes to his mind. He gets in the car, he buckles up, and he's totally silent in the back seat. So that's weird. So I look back and I go, Lincoln, what, what's going on? Because there's also a look on his face. I can tell something's wrong. And he goes, I can see his eyes. His eyes start to well up with tears. He goes like this. He goes, Dad, I am the slowest guy on the track team. That's what he says. I'm the slowest guy on the track team. So I'm trying to think about my dad move here. Like, what's the best? What's the best? So I, so I go, the slowest? Like, the very slowest? Because somewhere in my mind, I'm like, if he's the second slowest, then it won't be so bad, right? So like, are you sure you're the slowest, right? right? Which only emphasizes the point. So he goes, yeah, dad, I'm the slowest. So then I go, well, Maybe, maybe you're the slowest sprinter, but maybe you're a long distance guy, you know? I'm trying to come up with anything at this point. And he's like, no dad, I'm the slowest sprinter and I'm the slowest long distance guy on the track team. So I'm real desperate at this point. I'm like thinking, how about shot put, man? Or, or how about pole vault? That might be your thing, you know? You just haven't found it yet. So, and then he says this, and this is what really, what really 
I think this is what really got me because he, at this point he's crying and they are real tears. He is, he's, he's upset. He goes, Dad, here's the thing. I thought I was fast, but now I found out that I'm slow. I, I had an expectation of what I was. I had an image in my mind of, and now I don't know why he thought he was fast. Maybe he just, his imagination. But he said, I, I thought I was fast, and, and then I find out I'm, not, I'm slow, I'm not fast. And, and I started to think about what he was saying and why it made him upset. Like, why would it upset you that you're not fast, right? Because I'm not fast, and I'm not, I'm not upset about that. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, on one hand, you go, look, man, foot speed is overrated, son. Like, nobody's, nobody's ever going to pay you to run fast. And if, if, you, if you need to run fast because somebody's chasing you, you got bigger problems anyway. So, like, who cares about how fast you're? That's what you want to say. But, but why is he upset about this? Why is he sad that he's not fast? Because... You know, in one sense, it's like, well, who cares, right? Who cares about that? But what was happening in his little eight-year-old heart is the very same thing that happens in every single one of our hearts, and that is we are all seeking, we are all longing, we are all looking for something that gives us worth and value and dignity and hope and identity, and we start at a very young age to attach all of those hopes and dreams and aspirations and desires to things that cannot provide them. We are all seeking the living among the dead. We are all seeking, at, we are all aspiring for worth and value and purpose and meaning in our life. And I'm, I mean, I don't even care where you come from or what your background is here today. You might be a a Christian or not a Christian or whatever, we all share this. This is a universal human phenomenon. We want to have meaning in our life. We want to have purpose. We want to have a sense of validation and worth. And the problem is we all seek it in places where we cannot find it. And when those places cannot deliver what we desire, we find ourselves disappointed. We find ourselves in the back seat of the car crying because we're not fast. Who cares if you're not fast? Well, you care if you're not fast if you've begun to attach some identity to that. If you've begun to attach some sense of your own value, your own worth. See, I was worth something if I was faster, but maybe if I'm not fast, maybe my value goes down. Maybe my worth as a human being goes down. And it's, you know, it's one thing to kind of see that from a very simplistic child perspective, but you and I do the same thing. We do the same thing. We try to find our value, our worth, our, our, our life in our accomplishments, some of us, right? I do this. I'm, I, I'm guilty of this. First, first guy to admit it. I mean, literally, literally, should I admit this? Maybe I should. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, a lot of times I'll leave on a Sunday. My mood will depend on whether I thought I did a good job preaching or not. Because somehow a piece of my worth is attached to my accomplishment, right? Act like you don't even know what I'm talking about. Oh, that's weird, because I just love the Lord at all times, and His Holy Spirit just fills me with joy, right? We do this, right? What have I done? How, how worthy am I? How valuable am I? It's, it's, it's contingent upon what we're doing. How, am, I, am I making the grade? Am I going to graduate? Am I going to get the PhD? Am I, am I, 
we attach value. We seek life in places that cannot provide life. Some of us find life or try to find life in relationships. Like you put your trust and your hope and your sense of worth and value and dignity in other people. And if they love me, then I must be lovable. If they like me, then I must be likable. And so when they disappoint you, then I must not be lovable. I must not be likable because I put my, I was looking for life in somebody else and they disappointed me, right? If I could just get a girlfriend, if I could just get a boyfriend, if I could just get married, if we could just have a child, if, if, if we put our hope in other people, we put our, we wrap up our life our sense of dignity, worth, and value in other people, and people will disappoint. And when people disappoint, it feels like our life begins to unravel, right? When the relationship is going wrong, it feels like the whole life is going wrong because our identity is attached to the relationship. And so now we're starting to unravel as a human being because we put our hope in something that couldn't give us life. You see, other people are, are the products of life. They're not the producers of life. There's only one producer of life. That's the only place where you can find life is the person who creates life and generates life and sustains life. Some of us look for life in our career. If I, if I could just, you know, when I hit six figures, then, man, things are gonna be good. When I hit seven figures, things are gonna be real good, right? <laughs> when I hit eight figures, no. Uh, hey, why not? Um, we, we, we put, like, if I make VP, if I, if I just take this next job, if I could just get into this next position, and we start to attach our identity with our career. We're looking for life in a place that can't bring life, and so when something goes bad on the job, then suddenly our life starts to feel like it's not worth anything because we've attached ourselves to the job for our sense of purpose and value. Are you with me this morning? Maybe we do it with pleasure. Like, like if I can just enjoy, if, like if, I'm, if I can just do stuff that I enjoy, if I can just have pleasure, right? And we seek it in pleasure. And maybe it's the, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll for you, or maybe it's shopping for you, or maybe it's, you know, spending time on video games or watching YouTube. I mean, I don't know, whatever it is. But when you begin to seek happiness and fulfillment and joy just out of the pursuit of pleasure, you will be disappointed. We will be disappointed, we all do it. We all do it. Maybe, and this might surprise you, but sometimes we seek that life in religion, in our religious practice. You know, if I could just pray more, then my life would be right. If I, could, if I was just more disciplined about reading the Bible, then my life would be squared away. If I could just get everything shored up, if I could just walk out my spiritual disciplines better, and do better, then my life would make sense and it would be all good, right? And so we put this, and, and it, here's the thing, these are good things. These are great things, right? But these are not ultimate things. These things cannot give us the life that we seek. And when we try to seek life in these things, then we come up wounded and hurt and empty and longing and depressed and despondent because we were looking for life where life cannot where we cannot find it. We're looking for life in things that can't deliver. We're looking for the living among the dead. The first woman that came to the tomb, she's always mentioned first. Her name's Mary Magdalene. And Mary Magdalene, uh, a very, very interesting person because 
first of all, we know a few things about Mary. We know that she was a wealthy person. She was a prominent person from the city of Magdala. And she, she must have come from a wealthy family, but you know, so she had, she had wealth, she had prestige, she had status, uh, but she was bound up with stuff. She, she was a prisoner of her own mind. She had patterns of thoughts and behaviors that got her life out of control. She had been, look, before meeting Jesus, she had been looking for something and she had begun to fill her life with stuff that couldn't accomplish what she was looking for, things that couldn't give her life, and then she got totally totally taken over by those things. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, the, the Gospel writer says that she was full of demons. She was, before she met Jesus, she, was, she had demons in her. Now that may sound like weird to you, but that doesn't sound that weird to me. I know a lot of people who don't have control over their life. I know a lot of people who are trying to keep the reins tight and yet other forces are, are, are overpowering them and they're struggling with addictions and, and problems and issues and you don't even have to be totally out of control. Everybody in here knows what it's like to have a part of your life where you go, why can't I control that? Why do I keep not doing what I wanna do and doing what I don't wanna do? Why do I keep thinking that I'm gonna do this but then I don't do it? Or I think I'm not gonna do this and then I do. And, it, and a little bit of your life is out of control. That was, that, was, that was Mary Magdalene. She, in fact, the scripture said she was full of seven demons. And whenever you see the seven, like in New Testament literature, one of, the, one of the meanings of it is completeness, which means she was completely out of control. Her life was totally wrecked before she met Jesus. But Jesus didn't reject her. Jesus touched her. Jesus healed her. And, in, and, in, and in, when she met Jesus three years earlier, she had experienced freedom from the things that bound her up, the things that tied her down. Some of you are a prisoner in your own mind even here today. You're experiencing anxiety and fear and dread and sense, a sense of worthlessness. Maybe it's body image, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's pornography, maybe it's, it's anger, maybe whatever it is, but you're, you're bound up in it, you're tied up in it and you want freedom from it that's what that's what jesus gave her he gave her freedom so when she was coming to the tomb when she came to the tomb that day if i was her i would be terrified because i know what she's thinking she's thinking what if the demons come back what if i lose my freedom because the guy who gave it to me is dead and so am i really free or was this just a mirage and so she's looking for freedom. Some of you are looking for freedom today. You wouldn't even describe it like that to yourself or to your spouse or to anybody else. But in your heart of hearts, you know that's what you need. And as I'm saying it, it's resonating in your life that there's some stuff that you need to be free from and you don't know how to get free from it. And you're trying to find life in other things. And those things are not only not freeing you, they're actually constricting you further even though you're trying to find freedom in them. Come on, somebody. Are you with me this morning? So, so Mary's going... I need to find, and the angels are like, Mary, you're looking for the living among the dead. Some of us were trying to find that freedom. Another woman that was there, her name was also Mary. Apparently, if you are come to the tomb, you needed to have Mary somewhere in your name. You, did, you had to be Mary, the mother of some. The, sec, the second woman that came to the tomb was Mary, the mother of James and John. And as I, as I look at her life, I get her. This is a woman that wants validation. This is a woman who longs to be seen. She needs, she needs, she wanted to be valued. She wanted somebody to tell her she was worth something. Because, because Mary, the mother of James and John, if you remember, there was a great story a few years earlier when her sons, James and John, uh, 
were, were with her and Jesus was starting to launch his ministry and he was starting to rise in prominence, she grabs her sons by the boys and she goes to Jesus and she goes, Jesus, can you please make my, son, my sons James and John, can you make them at, the, at, at your right hand and not your left hand? In other words, can you put them on your royal court when you rise to prominence, when you become the king of the Jews? Could you make them, you know, senator and congressman on your right and left? Could you do that for me? And why does she do that? because she's trying to seek a sense of validation or affirmation through her children. This is a temptation for for parents, is that the things that you failed at in life, man, you get get pretty excited about your kids not failing at those things. Man, come on, just groan a little bit louder if you know what I'm talking about. I mean, I, (laughs) is this over, over admitting today? Should I keep going? Okay, so my, 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 my boys, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, they've started wrestling. And so I really like to go to their wrestling practice because I, I grew up wrestling, I love wrestling. The other day I'm at their practice and my son Jameson is out there and he's wrestling and, and I can see the moves that he should be making, you know? I can see what he should be doing in that moment, but he doesn't know. So I'm trying to coach him from the side of the mat. Son, bridge! He doesn't even know what bridge means. I'm like, throw in a half Nelson. He's like, what are you, right? Fireman's carry, son, right? He, and I'm like, I'm yelling. I'm, I'm not yelling. I'm just saying stuff <laughs> at a volume where he can hear me. I wasn't. And so he comes over. He comes over and says, in the middle of everything, he just very respectfully, hey, Dad, could you please not try to talk to me while I'm wrestling? Because it's very distracting. <laughs> And I'm like, duly noted. And because, because what, I started, what I started imagining, and you guys have seen this guy, I started imagining myself as the guy that's at the little league practice who's like on this side of the fence, screaming at his son and screaming at the umps, and he's trying to live out his own frustrated life through the success of his child, and he's screaming and hollering, and I'm like, wait a second, is that me? Am I going there? So I, I literally, two days later, I said to them, I said to both of them, I said, guys, would it be better if I don't come to wrestling practice, to your wrestling practice? And the long pause that came after my, (laughs) told me everything I needed to know. (laughs) Jameson finally was like, well, that's that's probably a pretty good idea, Dad. (laughs) We we all seek a sense of, we want to see, we want to be valued. James, James, is, James and John's mom, she's a helicopter mom. She just, she just wants her kids to succeed so badly. I feel like she's somebody who, who missed out on some opportunities in life, and now she's trying to take another shot at them, and she's trying to get them. She wants to, she wants to get that affirmation, that validation through the, her children, and now that Jesus is gone, the question is, who am I? Who am I now? Because I thought we were gonna be raised to prominence. I thought it was gonna be Jesus, James, and John, and John and James's mom was also attached, right? So I thought, my whole, I thought everything was gonna rise with the tide. So when she's coming, she's like, am I gonna lose that sense of validation, that sense of worth of my own life? I don't wanna be a nobody, I wanna be somebody. But I feel like I'm not gonna be somebody if he's dead. The third woman that came to the tomb was named Joanna. Fortunately, so that was nice for her to have a different name. Her name was Joanna. And the thing that Joanna wanted more than anything else in life is acceptance. That's how I see Joanna. Joanna was married to a man who worked for King Herod. 
King Herod was the most despised human being in Judea because he was sort of fronting as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an Orthodox Jew, but he was working behind the scenes for the Romans. And so everybody knew that he was a fake and a phony and a fraud, and her husband was the steward of his house. And so she didn't fit in anywhere. She didn't fit in with the Herod you know, palace in the royal court, but she didn't fit in with her people either because they looked at her like, you're attached to him and he's a traitor, right? You're married to a guy who works for Herod. But Jesus accepted her. Even when Herod executed Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, he still accepted her. This is, a, this is a woman who found ultimate acceptance where she couldn't find acceptance anywhere else. And so when she's coming to the tomb that day, she's feeling like, now where do I fit? Anybody ever longed for acceptance? Like you had those moments in your life where you're on the outside looking in and it looks like things are better on the inside and you don't know how to get there and people's shoulders are turned to you and people's backs are turned to you and it might not even be something overt but it's sort of the way they say something. It's sort of the underlying tone in which they say it. It might be just body language but you feel like, man, I'm not accepted here. I want to be accepted. I want to experience the warm glow and embrace of love and acceptance. And I'm outside looking in. That's, that's Joanna. And the angels are saying, why are you looking for the living among the dead? But then I love what the angel says. They say this. They say, they say don't you remember what Jesus said? Don't you remember? Because Jesus said that he would be captured and that he would be crucified and that he would be killed, but then he also said, I'm gonna rise again. Don't you remember when he said that? And then I love what the scripture says. It says, then they remembered his words. Some of us today need to remember what God is trying to say to you and has said to you in your life and you've forgotten and you're seeking the living among the dead and you might have been a, be a Christian for 25 years, 50 years, 100 years and you still find yourself attaching your sense of value, purpose and worth to things that do not produce life. And God is saying, why are you looking for the living among the dead? They started to remember his words. They started to remember when he said, I will rise again. They started to remember, it was only just a few days before that that he had been at his friend Lazarus' house. And Lazarus had been in a tomb. And he said something outside of another tomb. He said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. I am the life, he had said. They heard him say that and they're remembering that. And, and they remembered him saying, I have come that you might have life and that more abundantly. They started remembering his words. They started remembering him saying, in this world you will have trouble, but take courage because I have overcome the world. And they started to be, remember who they were and they started to remember who he was and they started to remember his words and so their, their faith began to grow. And the scripture says this. It says that they ran, they ran, they ran, hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. And they ran to the disciples. And you gotta see them now. You gotta see them having this moment where first they're afraid, but now they're filled with joy. They're afraid, but they're filled with joy because something important is happening. Their expectations are being changed and, and expanded. Their ideas about what's possible are being expanded. Their, their possibility of finding true life is being expanded. And as their expansion of their expectations and their faith grows, that's when it happens for them because the scripture says, suddenly Jesus met them. 
right there while they're running back, while they're starting to realize you can't find life in the, in the graveyard. You can't find life among the tombs. You gotta find life where the, where the source of life exists. You can't find life in things that aren't bringing you life. You can't find life in dead places. You gotta find life where the source of life exists. You gotta go after it there. And I love, I love what Jesus says to them. Because he, he could say like, hithersoever I have arisen thee from the dead and now I am upon majestic heights. But you know what he says? I love this, he says, greetings. <laughs> and the funny thing is that this phrase, it's, we actually don't have a decent word for the Greek word. The Greek word, they used to, if you have the King James Version, the Greek word is hail, right? But we don't even know what that means anyway, hail. But, but, the, but, the, but the underlying word is essentially rejoice. If I could translate it into common contemporary vernacular, it'd be, it'd be like this, hey. Like that's, that's what he was doing. He was like, hello, like not hello in a, in a cynical way or like, I'm, you, you can't say cheer up, that's too harsh, right? You can't be like, cheer up, but, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a greeting that, that communicates joy. Like, hey, it's all good, here I am. Where, what did you expect? I told you, remember? I told you, right? And the scripture says that when they saw him, they came to him, they clasped his feet, and they worshiped him. They began to go back to the source of life. They began to find the thing that brings life, that brings hope, that brings value, that brings dignity, that brings identity back to them. And it's not in external things. It's in the source of life itself. Today, I just wanna, I just wanna, I wanna ask you, where are you looking for life? Where are you looking for life? Where are you trying to find your sense of worth and your sense of value and your sense of dignity and hope and peace? And where are you looking for that? Because Jesus is saying, look, I can give you that. I, can, I am the resurrection and the life. I came that you might have life. I'm the source of life, and I want you to have it. And if you're here today and you're saying, look, you know, I, I get it. I think that would be great. How do I sort of do that? How do I get that? How do I experience that? He actually answered that question too, Matthew 7, 7. He said this, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. All of us are seeking life, but are we seeking it where life can be produced or are we seeking it in dead places. Ask and you shall receive. Now that's not just a one-time deal. That's not just for those who are like, oh, this is my first time coming to Christ. This is for you, for me, for every single one of us. We have to continually put our hope back in the source of life itself. Not on, and because I'll do, I'll do this this afternoon, y'all. I'll leave here this afternoon and I'll go, huh, how did I preach today? Because if I preach good, then I'll feel good about myself. If I preach lousy, then I'll feel lousy about. So we do this, we, we gotta do this every day. I gotta do it every minute. Some of you need to do it every second. Some of you, right, right? You might not have seven demons, but you got three or four right now, and you need some freedom. You need some money. Ask and you shall receive. 
Seek and you shall find. For whoever asks, receive, receives. Whoever seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. Let me pray for you. Father, we come before you right now with gratitude in our heart for your truth, your power, your strength, the life that you give us. God, I pray that we would turn away from those things that, that we try to seek life in that don't produce life. Help us to seek life among the living, not life among the dead. Help us to, to, to look at you and to pursue you for our ultimate sense of value, purpose, and worth in life. Help us to turn away from those things, God, which distract us and pull us and lead us away from finding where true life is in you. We thank you for your death. We thank you for your burial. And today, Father, we thank you that you raised Jesus from the dead. We thank you for the resurrection that we might have life by the selfsame power that raised Christ from the dead. And that life might animate us throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout our lifetime. We might continue to go towards the source and tap into the source and seek the source and ask of the source and knock at the source of life itself. Father, we praise you for this. We give you honor, praise, and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen.